Well, Judy didn't make it back in time today, so, I'm, so I'm up. But uh, uh, before Liz has a prayer, uh, Nancy Collins' daughter wants to say something to the class. Then Liz will have the prayer and Phil will bring us the lesson. <laughs> I just want to let y'all know that um, Friday we were told that my mother, they found several metastatic spots on her liver and one on her kidney and she has selected not to do anything about it. So just wanted everybody to know. Thanks for letting us know and Nancy, you'll be in our prayers. Nancy is here with us this morning. Let's bow our head and pray, please. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you with sad hearts in the news of Nancy's diagnosis and others in our class who are facing illness and decisions that must be made and we just ask for your comfort on them and your healing if that's your will. Lord, we uh, also lift up our praise to you for this class, for each person who faithfully looks to you for all you, that you can do for us. Lord, we ask that you comfort those who are still grieving the loss of loved ones. We uh, lift up to you Charlie Oliver's family and others, Lord, who need your comforting touch. Lord, please be with Phil this morning as he brings us his message. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. and we have a lot to do today because I told you we were going to do Beatitudes in seven weeks and, and there are eight Beatitudes and so I had to choose which week I was going to do two and today's the week so um, I hope most of you went to early service um, you may or may not get to church I'm going to get you there. We, we tried to say that uh, the Beatitudes here in Matthew 5 are kind of a kind of ladder, that they're, they're connected. And um, one of the reasons I chose to do these two together is because I think, I think they are connected in some ways that aren't obvious. And so I hope to, as always, not be able to say everything we might want to say, but say enough to maybe we can catch a glimpse of what Jesus is saying here. 
And to remind ourselves, Jesus, in opening the Sermon on the Mount, is, is announcing who, who is blessed in this, this kingdom that's breaking in. Uh, who are the ones who will be in a position to receive this, this new world that's, that's breaking in, in the midst of the old world that's passing away? I mean, who, who, who will have eyes to see and hearts to receive? And so far we've heard it's, it's the poor in spirit, right? The poor in spirit, the those, those who know that they come to God with open hands, who, who have nothing unless God fills them. Uh, it's, it's those who mourn, those who see the world through tears, who, who grieve at uh, their own brokenness, the brokenness of the world. Um, it's those who are meek, right? Who those who, uh, as so easy to do, those who don't devote all of their energy to trying to uh, defend themselves and to justify themselves, uh, but who come before God humbly. Last week we talked about what it meant to be those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This notion uh, that righteousness is the, the desire for right relationship with God and other people, that they, there's a hunger for that. Um, what does it mean to hunger that our relationships with God and other people uh, would, be, would be made right? Um, so all of these, these first four, we said, were about uh, our, our emptiness before God. Uh, with the expectation that God would fill us. And so today uh, we come to the fifth beatitude. Uh, Blessed are the, the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then the, the sixth one, which we'll come to shortly, um, is what? You all know this. It's a test. Yes, yes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right? They shall see God. So the fifth one, in some ways, is the is the. It's interesting, and it's 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 the only one that's sort of reflexive in the sense that that which is given is that which the the blessed one uh, has received. And so there's this notion of, of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And, and here we begin to see the filling. You know, this, we talked about the emptiness before, uh, before God with our, our open hands. And here, here we see the fullness of what we have to offer. Um, it's, it's precisely because as kingdom people, precisely because we are recipients of God's mercy, that we can be merciful people and therefore put ourselves in the position to be filled with mercy yet again. It's, it's the merciful who receive mercy, but they are ones who have been given mercy first. God has never asked us uh, the way God's uh, economy and this new social order, this new world works. God has never asked us, never will ask us, uh, to offer something that we haven't first received. 
And so we're called to be merciful. Jesus says the ones who will be blessed, the ones who will uh, be in position to receive this kingdom um, are, are the merciful. Are the merciful. And this is, uh, this is a theme throughout the Old Testament that God is a God of, of mercy. Uh, so Jesus isn't at one level saying anything new here, but Matthew is, is trying to do something pretty important here um, in trying to, to narrow down, like, what's the first thing you want to say about what it is we have to offer after we're, we come before God humbly, meekly, broken, thirsty, and hungry to be made right, right? To have our relationships made right. Well, what's the first thing? And it's, it's mercy. It's mercy. Um, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In Matthew, Jesus um, is often invoked. I mean, his mercy is often requested. Um, multiple times in Matthew, people come to Jesus and say, uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. It's interesting. I mean, even people that you think wouldn't even know who Jesus is. I mean, in one chapter, in, in Matthew 15, Jesus uh, is outside of the boundaries of the Jewish people. He's in Gentile uh, territory, and a Canaanite woman comes up to Jesus and says precisely that. Son of David, have mercy on me and my daughter who's sick. Right? Um, people come to Jesus knowing that well, what can you ask for? You ask for mercy. Um, you ask for mercy. Um, it's one of the central things that we want. It, it's an acknowledgement that you need help. You need, you need mercy. And, and Jesus offers mercy because we need help. But it's interesting in this kingdom... Jesus doesn't simply offer mercy because I need help, although that's true. Uh, but I'm granted mercy uh, in order then to become a channel of that mercy and become the merciful, right? God's trying to transform us into being merciful people. And it's the ones who are willing to be merciful who receive mercy. And I don't know about your experience, but I have often found in my limited experience, life experience, that it often is the ones that Jesus notes. This is the latter. It's, it's precisely the broken people. People who know their own brokenness, who know their own neediness, who are themselves the most merciful. I don't know if you found that to be the case, but I think I have more times than not. Um, it, it's people who know their own brokenness, know their neediness, know that they need help, who have eyes to see other people's neediness. They're tuned into it, and they're sensitive to it, and they're open, open to offering mercy, to being merciful people. Some of Jesus' harshest words 
in the new in, in Matthew in the New Testament, of course, are to uh, this this group of very well-meaning uh, Jewish uh, colleagues of Jesus that we know as the Pharisees. And at one level, they get kind of a bad name because they just always, more times than not, end up in sort of opposition to Jesus. But we need to be honest that they they were trying to follow the law. They were trying to do what God had asked them to do. Um, and they, they, they understood uh, that God, God commanded in Leviticus that they were to be a holy people as God was holy. God had commanded them, be holy as I am holy. And so the way that, I mean, like, what's I going to look like? And so the Jewish people over time, you know, developed a way of trying to understand what it would mean to be holy. And that holiness got transferred. I mean, and you know the word holy means to be set apart. So how were they to be set apart? Well, they thought they were, uh, they were to be pure. This will come up again when we talk about the pure of heart. They were to be pure. Well, how, how were they to be pure? Well, they, they thought that partly meant... Um, being clean, and so they had this very sophisticated, uh, that seems odd to us, but a very sophisticated way of thinking about what in the world is clean, and, and, and who in the world is clean, and who's unclean. And so it came up with a whole way of just sort of dividing the world up into the clean and the unclean, and, and who you could associate with because of that, because you were to be a separate people. And so it was all about making distinctions between some people and other people. And so the Gentiles were unclean. And so the sick uh, were unclean. Uh, people who were notorious sinners were unclean. And so, so part, you know, part of the scandal of Jesus, of course, is precisely that he's violating those boundaries of what good Jewish people, including the Pharisees, thought made them who they were. Jesus is touching unclean people, thereby making him supposedly unclean. Jesus is speaking to people who are considered to be unclean and therefore defiling himself, so they thought. So Jesus couldn't possibly be who some people thought he could be because he wasn't being holy as God was holy. But Matthew here is trying to help us to see that he, Matthew's trying to transpose, transfigure, transform our understanding of what it means to be holy, what it means to be set apart, what it means to reflect God's character and be a, a God's people that has a lot less to do with sort of these divisions on the outside and has more to do with being people of mercy, people who, and so Jesus criticizes. I mean, at one point we mentioned that uh, Matthew has his uh, set of Beatitudes and we said Luke has his set of Beatitudes too. What makes Luke's different is Matthew's got eight Luke's got four, but then after four, he's got woes, <laughs> right? He's got woes, like, woe to you, woe to you, the rich, right? Um, and so, but it's interesting, uh, chapter 23 of Matthew 
is pretty much all woes. So it's, it's not right next to the Beatitudes, but chapter 23 is Jesus just going after. It's a painful chapter to read. It's Jesus going after, again, not just, it, it's the religious, the people who were sure that they were righteous because they were doing what the system told them to do and they were trying to encourage other people to do it. And that wasn't a bad thing. Um, and, and so Jesus is going to say, you know, woe to you. But listen to what he says. This is in Matthew 23. Pick out one of these. He's got like several woes. Paragraph after paragraph after woe, 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 woe. Um, let's just pick out one of them. This is in 23, 23. This is about halfway through the chapter, so he's already, yeah, he's been really hard on them. But right now he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, like spices, right? Do you tithe your spices? <laughs> right? I mean, in our day, it's like, now do I tithe like gross or net? <laughs> right? Like 10% of what? Like 10% of investments too? Um, what about, I mean, this is what they were thinking about. Like what, if I'm supposed to tithe, like tithe what exactly? Tithe everything? Well, what's that include? And Jesus says, you know what? You're pretty, you're pretty scrupulous here. Right? You tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. So Jesus doesn't say you were wrong to worry about tithing. He doesn't just say forget that. Jesus just said, but you, you forgot the weightier things. Like what's the center? So you've made this kind of secondary, tertiary things like the main thing. And this central thing, you forgot what that is. There's no mercy in you as you parade your righteousness before others and make it clear that they're less than you. There's, there's no mercy in you. There's nothing of God in you. Woe to you. You blind guides, my favorite lines, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. <laughs> right? Who thinks Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor? Can you, can you sort of see that image? Someone who's straining out a gnat, but swallowing a camel. It's like, you have been so good at the details, but you've missed the big picture entirely. And Jesus here is just hearkening back to pretty central prophetic passages that we're all familiar with. Like Hosea 6.6 6, For I desire hesed right, this untranslatable Hebrew word this particular translate calls it, I desire, desire steadfast love. It's often translated, this is this word in Hebrew that talks about covenant loyalty, compassion, 
uh, God's love for us, mercy, um, kindness. Uh, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so it's, it's this central thing. Uh, Micah has the same thing, right? In Micah 6, 8, that famous passage. What does the Lord require of you? Uh, but to do justice, and here's that word, and to practice hesed. This translation says love kindness, but that misses out. It's really like to love and engage in mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So the prophets had told the people of Israel that they were in danger early on, right? Uh, much earlier than this, that, that somehow they, it was easy for them to get sidetracked onto things that weren't the central thing. And so it's not surprising that, that mercy, mercy is something that Jesus holds up as, as the central thing. And that they shouldn't have neglected the other, that I desire mercy. And so even in Matthew, a couple places where Jesus says it explicitly, just a couple chapters later, in chapter 9, right? In chapter 9, Jesus is talking again. Uh, because he's, uh, yeah, this is uh, 9, 10, and 13, if you're there, if you're looking for it. Um, he's sitting with all the wrong people. He's sitting at dinner with tax collectors, sinners, right? Then the Pharisees show up, right? And they're offended. They saw that and said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. And here he's referring back to Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go learn what that means. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And he says pretty much the same thing in chapter 12, where in the first opening sections here. This is the, the story where the, uh, Jesus and uh, his disciples are sort of foraging right on the Sabbath. Right? Walking through the fields and, and eating the grain. And it's like, hey, that's you know, we were told to keep the Sabbath and so the Pharisees came up with a very complicated notion of like, okay what do we have to do in order to keep the Sabbath? And what's going to count for keeping the Sabbath holy? Well, so you had all kinds of things you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And so, and this was harvesting, right? And that's work. And so you can't do that. But Jesus ends up saying the same thing to them. They're saying like, who, who is this guy? And why is he, uh, why are they somehow harvesting here on the Sabbath? And Jesus says to them, I tell you, if you had known what this means, this is verse 7. He goes on to say, talks about the Sabbath and how it was kept in the past. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you, have not, you would not condemn the guiltless, the guiltless. So Jesus, over and over, this notion of, do you know what it means to be a person of mercy? not surprising that just in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount uh, Jesus is going to offer us 
this model prayer where he holds up the same dynamic of, of those who are people of mercy receive mercy. Right? Because Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those. Or forgive our debtors or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sins against us or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, we're asking God to have mercy on us because we've had mercy on others in forgiving them, uh, which is an act of mercy. An act of mercy. It's not deserved. It's, it's a gift. It's given. You can't earn mercy. It's granted. And, and Jesus being pretty sure that we might miss that. We've talked about this before. You know, he goes on in chapter 6 to, to gloss. He, he expands on that just in case we missed it, right? So right after the Lord's Prayer closes, after he says, you know, Amen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. That's precisely because we have been forgiven. We know that we have no standing before God apart from God's mercy. That we can offer mercy to others. We of all people who have received mercy ought to be the most merciful. Which again puts us in a position to continue to receive and be channels of God's mercy. Several weeks ago we talked about uh, this famous prayer in the history of the church called the, the Jesus Prayer. Uh, that in some ways uh, people around the world have, if you could only, they've turned it into a breath prayer. I mean, when we try to think about like, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? They try to encapsulate like the good news of the gospel in like one sentence. If you had to, in a prayer, and what is that prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? Have mercy on me. I mean, that, that's the gospel right there. God having mercy on us. This is the central things, the weightier things. And so it's not surprising to me, once you sort of see the way that Beatitudes are set up that after acknowledging our our emptiness before God that the first thing that we're filled with is mercy and that makes it possible for us then to grant mercy to extend mercy to others. I think in a surprising way maybe that may take us to the next rung on the ladder. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Um, if the first one that we did today, you know, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And that in some ways um, it's not complicated. Right? In the sense that I don't have any idea what Jesus is saying. I know exactly what Jesus is saying there. I may not do it. I may not 
be a person of mercy, but it's because I don't, not because I don't understand that I've been a recipient of mercy. Um, I just might be um, not as generous with the mercy as God calls me to be. I may not be as open-handed with the mercy that I've received. I might be stingy with the mercy. Um, but that one's not complicated, that Jesus is identifying the merciful are being those who will receive mercy. It's a little trickier to understand what, what does it mean to be pure in heart. Um, lots of different possibilities here. I mean, the first place to probably turn is Psalm 24, where you hear this kind of, the language of the heart and pureness of heart is a kind of standard phrase in the Jewish tradition. So um, Psalm 24, beginning about verse 3, uh, this is a psalm that was probably said as pilgrims were going to the temple and they were thinking about what it meant to enter the temple. And so in verse 3 it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Meaning like the, the temple hill. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts. Who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So those who have clean hands and pure hearts. But once you see that Matthew's trying to shift what counts for holy, what counts for pure. It's not about cleanliness. It's not about driving distinctions. It's about that maybe the, the, the pure of heart are the people who are single-mindedly about what God is about. Um, it's been a famous book written uh, that you hardly read anything about this particular beatitude without uh, hearing about the, the famous work by uh, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who wrote uh, a book called uh, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Right? To will one thing. Um, what's, what's your heart? I mean, the heart in the scripture is, is this, it's not the organ that pumps. Uh, it's not the seat of your affections like it is on Valentine's Day. Um, it's not the icon that you can put in a red heart and put on a bumper sticker and it's like it stands in for love. Like I love my, I heart my Cocker Spaniel. Uh, I heart New York. Uh, I heart whatever. I mean, you get one made, you, you fill in the blank, right? Um, but the heart in scripture is, it's like the center, it's the core of who you are out of which you think and move and have your being. It's, it's the center of who you are, right? It's the core of who you are. I mean, even the English word core comes from a Latin word for heart. I mean, that's, that's who we are. And so to have the pure of heart, right? The pure of heart, to be single-minded, um, not to be double-minded, not uh, to be about many things, but to be single-minded. 
And I think Matthew puts this one here on the end of mercy because I think he's trying to say, he's going back to what he's going to say the rest of the passage, the rest of the book, is singleness of heart, purity of heart, is to be about this weighty matter of God's mercy. The person who is pure of heart is the person who, who offers their whole life uh, to be a person of mercy. I often wonder what it would be like if that's who we were known as the people of God. Uh, if the people who said, oh, those Christians, those people who follow Jesus, they are full of mercy. They are full of mercy. Um, they're humble. I mean, they, they've they can tell they've received mercy, but they are anxious to extend it. Um, they see the neediness of the world around them, and they joyfully, with pure hearts, extend mercy in a kind of, in a kind of singleness of purpose. They are channels of mercy. That might be who we are. Um, might be the first thing we want to say, just as Jesus says, you know, these are the weighty things. You should have done these other things too. So it's not to say that's the only thing. But what if that were the main thing? What if that were the central thing? At, at the core of our identity is that because we have received mercy, we freely give mercy. We're not stingy. We're not calculating. We're not trying to decide if the person deserves mercy. We're not worried about what they're going to do with it. I mean, best I can tell, God didn't make all those calculations for me. Like, does he deserve mercy? Probably not. What's he going to do with it if I give Kenison mercy? I mean, is he going to squander it? Is he just going to celebrate it on Sunday morning that, hey, I've received mercy. Thank you, God. And then like the servant in Matthew 18, right, the, un the unmerciful servant, you know that story, right? You know that story, the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, later on, which is kind of a gloss on everything we've said so far. It's about this servant who, who, who owns, owes 10,000 talents, right? A talent is 15 years wages, so 10,000 talents is 150,000 years of wages. That's a, that's a boatload of money. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is basically telling a joke here. Like, the first servant owed a gazillion dollars, an unpayable debt. And he says, have mercy on me. He says to the person he owes it to, have mercy on me and I will repay. That's a joke, because he can't, right? I don't think he's going to live to be 150,000 years old and pay every single dime, right? And so mercy is granted. And then he runs out and finds someone who owes a debt to him of 100 denarius, denarii, right? And that's. A denarius is one day's wage. 
So it's not chump change, it's 100 days of wages. But you think about it, 150,000 years of wages, 100 days. He has received this much mercy and he goes out and he refuses. And this servant says exactly the same words to him. Have mercy on me and I will repay. And that was a payable debt. No. Pay up now or else. Right. That can't be who we are. We have to be people who, because we have received God's mercy, we have to be sort of single-minded purpose, singleness of heart. Not calculating, not wondering, what will people do with that mercy if I extend it to them? Um, yeah, that's a good question. But I'm not sure that's our job. Uh, we are called to be people of mercy. And, and so it's interesting that, what's it mean that they will see God? Well, I don't think it means it in the way that we sometimes think of it. I don't think it means that at the end of the... Uh, I don't think it... I don't think Matthew primarily has in mind that at the, at the last judgment or someday we'll see the face of God. It might include that, but I think, I think Matthew's talking about something much more specifically here. Uh, it's interesting that the church for millennia has had what it has called, uh, based on that famous passage in Matthew 25, we call the, the works of mercy. Right, the works of mercy. You know this passage about the, the great judgment and the separation of the sheep and the goats. And the king will say, Come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, When was it we saw you hungry, and gave you food, or thirsty, and gave you something to drink? When was it we saw you a stranger, and welcomed you, or naked, and gave you clothing? When was it we saw you sick, or in prison, and visited you? And the king will answer them, Just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. So those six things, along with uh, a seventh one, um, which was uh, caring for the dying and burying the dead, were considered to be the corporal, the bodily works of mercy that the church was called to do. And it's interesting there, the language that, that Matthew uh, uses here. I've thought about this passage for years, but I'm not sure I connected this passage with this pure in heart beatitude for they shall see God right notice that these people didn't didn't know they were doing these things didn't didn't know they were taking care of Jesus didn't know they were seeing Jesus in the thirsty the hungry the poor the ones in prison the naked, the stranger. When did we see you? 
when you did it to them, you did it to me. They, they saw God, they didn't know it. They didn't know it. But it didn't mean they didn't see God. They, they saw God in their needy neighbor. They thought that they thought because they didn't think of their own righteousness. They didn't think they were doing anything other than extending mercy because they had received mercy. And yet, in doing that, they later find out they had actually seen God in their neighbor, in the works of mercy. So I think there's an interesting way these two Beatitudes tie together that has to do with mercy, the central, central tenet of our faith. That from the Old Testament to the New is declared to us as being central, core to who we are, core to what God's about, that we are recipients of God's mercy. Israel was recipients of God's mercy. The church has been recipients of God's mercy. We are called to be merciful people. And the merciful and the pure of heart will be the ones who will be able to receive this kingdom, this merciful kingdom. Some of you probably know the contemporary writer Anne Lamont in one of her early books that made her uh, fairly popular called Tender Mercies, as it turns out says that uh, there are basically two prayers uh, that she thinks are sort of central, really the only two prayers you need. Uh, the first one is help, help, help. And the second one is thank you, thank you, thank you. Right. Now think about the first one. I mean, the first one is basically a restating of the Beatitudes. Right? It's only the people who are willing to ask for help. Right? Um, people who know they need mercy. And then are willing to extend it to those who are saying, help, help, help. And there are people all around us. Every day in my life, every day in your life, in this community, wherever you find yourself, there are people either audibly or silently with their whole being crying, help, help, help. And the question is whether those of us who have received help, received mercy, will extend it. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to be the merciful people you've called us to be. May we be mindful of the mercy we've received and may we be generous in extending it to your glory and for the glory of your kingdom. We pray through the merciful one, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um.